Recording is on. All right, we're live. What's going on, everybody? This is Manero Mateo. Welcome back to the channel. We are honored to have Kevin Wad here on the program. Uh, Kevin has been uh, integrating more into the Monero community, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard about him. And he just made a channel recently on Monero, and I highly recommend you go check that out. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things he talks about there today. And so just to introduce you, Kevin, uh, you are a blockchain developer who has worked on the Etica protocol since 2018. Uh, it's an open source protocol for medical research without intellectual property. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we're very gracious to have you. How are you doing, Kevin? Man, I'm extremely great. And I would say I'm uh, very, very glad to meet you uh, because what you have been doing for the Monero community is exceptional. And uh, well, I'm, I really appreciate you know to be here and to talk with you. And again, uh, thank you for the world community because what you've done is uh, mind blowing. You know because, <laughs> yeah, what uh, this is this is crazy. You know what is happening. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you were one of the first listeners, I think, on our channel, which is fantastic. And I remember you commenting on one of our videos saying that you were going to make a channel soon, and you did, and it's awesome. Uh, some of the stuff you talk about with quantum scalability and uh you know we'll talk about that because when people hear about quantum physics they're like oh let me get my dude bro science textbook right <laughs> but uh yeah you talk about a lot of interesting stuff and i'm just so excited that more people are coming out here to talk about this wonderful project monero and i do think it's really important i believe that it's really important for financial freedom and so let me just ask you how'd you get into this stuff what really enticed you about it well, for me, uh, it's starting, um, you know, I think it was just, I was studying a lot of uh, projects on the blockchain. And uh, at the beginning, I was into Bitcoin. Uh, I used to listen to Mike Kaiser and uh, Stacy on their Kaiser report. And it was about the late uh, 2013, uh, beginning of 2014. And uh, when uh, Ethereum started, I was into it and I... I also met uh, the, one of the founders of the DRO, uh, Stefan Truel, and uh, I was into Ethereum, but I, I noticed that uh, it, it wasn't for me. And when I, uh, I, I found about Monero, I became uh, almost crazy about it. And now I am completely into Monero. I think this is uh, the, the, the cryptocurrency of freedom, and uh, we, have to, we have to make sure that it uh, gets uh, what it deserves. Absolutely. When you first discover Monero, it's like you're Nicolas Cage finding the national treasure. You know, it's just like, I can't believe people are not paying attention to this. We have to steal the Declaration of Independence and let everybody know, right? Uh, because the fact that it's a $5 billion market cap, and I'm not about the price. Typically on my channel, we talk about the macro economics of this stuff and why it's going to be important with everything that's going on in the world uh, to see that $5 billion and to see Bitcoin approaching a trillion dollars when Monero is just so obviously a better cryptocurrency than Bitcoin and some of the other top coins that are out there. It's just yeah. like people need to figure this stuff out like quickly yeah. and understand what's going on here. Um, because really on our channel, and I think you're probably the same way, we very much care about freedom. Uh, we very much care about freedom and the future for humanity because it looks like we're going into an interesting sticky situation regarding a lot of this artificial intelligence stuff and how that's going to interlock with blockchain and crypto. 
and central bank digital currencies and everything like that. And so freedom is just so important, which is why we're so about Monero here and why we're all about Monero first and the Freedom Coin Covenant and everything like that. And so uh, what does freedom mean to you? Because I imagine that's one of the big elements as to why you're involved in this stuff. Yes, for me, freedom means being able, you know, when you make a transaction to, to, be, uh, to be certain that it doesn't involve uh, liability, you know, it doesn't involve things that you don't uh, have to care about. You know, uh, if you move money and then, uh, I mean, two months later or three months later, you have the police knocking at your door saying you have done this, you are in relation with this. Or, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, when you make a transaction, you don't want to have additional uh, potential damage, you know, and this is due to fungibility. And the idea to have a currency that is not fungible, I mean, if it happens, it will be the first time in human history, you know. Uh, I, I don't think there is an example in human history of a currency that's not uh, fungible, you know, and that works at scale, you know. Maybe it can work in a small village where everybody knows each other, but at scale, you need fungibility, you know, this is the, this is a no-brainer. And for me, we have to do the necessary to, to give the world fungibility, you know. <laughs> this, this is... I mean, it has to be done, you know. And yeah. I, what what I really like about the Monero community is that at, at this moment, this current moment, I'm really talking about this current moment, is like, I think almost all the people into Monero are like very uh, about freedom, you know. They, they really care about freedom. And I think that what will happen is that as the price of Monero will start to skyrocket and increase, you will have more and more people that will come in the community, but they will not be about freedom. So right now, like it's like every every time you talk to someone that is into Monero, uh, first of all, you, 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 you it looks like uh, this person is extremely um, intelligent, and they understand that a currency with that fungibility doesn't work, and they are always always about freedom, you know. And this is why also there, there is so much you know in this community and to be able to be in this community this is this is such a positive thing you know yeah when you're in the monero community you're part of the cool club uh i mean you gotta have you know pretty decent intelligence on the ball awareness as to what's going on in the world what's going on in crypto now i am not a tech guy and i've said that since the beginning i am not a cryptographer and so when i look at monero and i see the attractiveness of it it's not because of you know, a lot of the intricate details with the math and everything like that. Peterson commitments, which I've looked into. It's really smart stuff. But for me, it's about the, again, fungibility, like you say, every Monero equals every other Monero. And the freedom that it could provide for people to opt out of an increasingly technocratic, panopticonical, tyrannical system. And so that's really, really important to me. Uh, so in regards to fungibility, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, why does that matter for freedom why is fungibility important to you? Well, if you don't have fungibility, think about the system that will uh, operate, you know. Uh, it means because there is uh, a, a thing that I like in uh, philosophy is the principle of a wall. It means that uh, when you build a system, you have to do it as if you don't know your place in the system you're going to build, you know. Like, if you build a system and you don't know who is going to control it, are you really going to let a system where there is a central authority that can uh, survey uh, what is going on on the blockchain? And because what will happen is that if Bitcoin becomes the main system, I think there are just two possibilities. 
the first possibility is that we leave layer one and everything happens on layer two, layer three, and all of this. And then what will happen is that we will just reproduce the current system on top of Bitcoin. So we will have the same consequences. It will just be a matter of time. And at the end of the day, we will have exactly the same system with exactly the same things. And then you will need another Satoshi Nakamoto that will invent a Bitcoin 2.0 <laughs> to <laughs> reproduce you know, the revolution. Um, and the second possibility, I think, is that so the first possibility was leaving layer one. The second possibility is that uh, we, we stay on the layer one, but then you have the states and all of these institutions that are going to control the layer one indirectly, meaning that they are going to impose taxes, they are going to survey the blockchain, and they are going to do everything to, to, to really make it uh, irrelevant. You know? So I think that fungibility at the core level will definitely be a game changer and bring so much more than just the current uh, proposal of Bitcoin. 100% and I totally agree with you. And Bitcoin is not private on the base layer, which is why it's not fungible. Like yeah. people look at Monero, they're like, oh, I'll use a private cryptocurrency when I need it. And it's like, no, if it's not private on the base level, it's not an actual cryptocurrency in the full sense of the term. Because in order for something to be a legitimate currency, and in order for all of the units of that currency to equal each other, it has to be by default private. And I don't know if you saw this tweet from Adam Back, a uh, big Bitcoin guy. He's behind Blockstream. But he was like, yeah, you know, the Bitcoin that nobody knows that you own, that's the most valuable stuff right there. And it's just like, wait, Adam, do you mind going back and rewinding what you just said there? You said that some Bitcoins are more valuable than others based on who knows that you have it. Uh, it sounds like a fungibility problem, my friend. But yeah. uh, I imagine he yeah, owns yeah. bags of Monero. He talks indirectly about it. But that's really important. Like privacy yeah. is really important for fungibility and therefore freedom, right? Yeah. Um, let me so, add something about this. Let me, yeah. yeah. It's, it's about honesty, you know, honesty. Because another fe uh, feature I think there is in the Monero community is honesty. Uh, I think the current community is extremely honest people. You know, I like, I mean, I skydive when I have time, I do skydive. And in this community, you know, it's a small community, but you have to trust each other, you know, because if you don't, well, you are, you are putting your life into the end of, of other people sometimes. So you have to trust each other. And I think like in the cryptocurrency industry, uh, Monero is the only community where I, I, I could trust people, you know, this way. And it's about honesty, honesty with other people and honesty with yourself. Because a lot of Bitcoin maximalists, they know that Bitcoin, uh, that Bitcoin fungibility is a huge issue, and they know that Monero solves this issue, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Like they ignore it, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> like this is crazy, you know. Uh -huh, yeah. I think it's, it's complicated about honesty, you know. It's like they, they they stop to be honest with themselves, and they're like, "Well, we'll figure out later. We will. Uh, uh, an alien is going to bring a solution in the future," <laughs> and it's like. They still to be honest with themselves. And I think at the end of the day, they're going to pay it because Monero will do the necessary so that it goes where it has to go, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, if you stop being honest with yourself and you, you, you ignore the fact that fungibility is necessary at the core level, even Satoshi Nakamoto and Alfine, right after starting using Bitcoin, the first thing they have talked about is uh, anonymity and it's... Uh, privacy and enters fungibility and adam back there are a lot of videos on on him on in the internet where he is talking about this huge problem of uh, fungibility on bitcoin so he knows it exactly 
but Slack Monero doesn't exist. And he prefers to create Blockstream and uh, to have a Lightning Network layer to all of this. At the end of the day, I think they will do everything they can, but until mm. the last day necessary, Monero will not exist for them. <laughs> 100%, yeah. And I think Adam Back was doing a presentation many years ago uh, where he indirectly mentioned Monero, I think. And he had said there is some project out there which... Uh, allows for transactions to be private by default, but society is just not ready for that. And it's just like, why? <laughs> why is why are we not ready for that, Adam? I don't understand. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit concerning when you have people who have already bought into the game so much, you know, because you've got a lot of hardcore libertarians out there who got into Bitcoin early, and they promoting they've been promoting Bitcoin ever since. And if they were to go back and then say, hey, this cryptocurrency that I told you guys about, this awesome crypto that I told everyone to get into, is it, is it, is it, is uh, I thought it was, I think I made a mistake, you should go to Monero, right? <laughs> like they're not doing that at the rate that you would like them to. Yeah, yeah. But isn't his name Alan, uh, Adam Back? Oh, that? <laughs> yeah, Adam Back, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's his name, so he's going to, to be back, you know, he's going to, to go back to, 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 <laughs> to Monero. Back to the Future with Adam Back driving the <laughs> narrow mobile, right? That's, uh, yeah, so freedom is important. Fungibility is important. And this is interesting. I was looking at your Etica protocol. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about that? There is a little bit of a freedom element to that, given yes. that there is no intellectual property involved, which is a big problem in the middle gold community. Um, this is interesting. So you want to just branch over that a little bit and tell us a little bit about that yeah so uh, what i believe is that at the end of the day the most important thing for a human being is uh, health you know and um you know bitcoin is about what you have you know and monero is about what you have all this but uh etika is about what you are you know it's the health and and that with the covid and everything that is happening uh it is more than obvious now that we need a protocol for um, open source medical research. So I, I've started to, 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 to work on this back on 2018. And so it was before the COVID and all this. And basically what it is, it's a protocol for open source medical research without intellectual property. And what it will enable is to create uh, medicines and to find cure for diseases without intellectual property and in an open source way. And this is a huge game changer for the way the current uh, industry works. And I believe that this is going to be uh, more than necessary and it can be uh, very good, you know. Very cool. And you've been working on this since 2018. It's quite a while. Yeah. Um, where are you in its development? Are you looking to launch soon? Well, uh, actually, um, the code and all of this is already ready. Uh, at, the, uh, at the beginning, it was just a smart contract that I deployed on the Ethereum blockchain, so anybody can can check it and uh, interact with it. And uh, I published a white paper in 2000, late 2019, and I also uh, sent um, an email to the original uh, mailing list of Satoshi Nakamoto in uh, to late 2019, and. Now there is an operational smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain uh, since uh, 2019, but it's like a test smart contract because what we are planning is to relaunch the whole 
uh, protocol into its own blockchain and it should be completely decentralized. And at the end of the day, there is no, like I will not be, I will not have any privilege in this protocol. Like I will be just one person among the others when we will go into launch it. And, and anybody will be able to mine it and to participate into the protocol. But I think it can really bring something new and much more to the blockchain than DeFi and all of this. I think that decide decentralized science can be much more valuable for, for people in the, um, in the ecosystem. So do you want me to explain rapidly how it works and how uh, I'm trying to tackle this problem of uh, intellectual property in uh, the medical system? Yeah, sure. I think people would be interested in that because that is something which I think is in pretty high demand right now in society. All right. So, so, so the way it works is that it creates a kind of competition for each disease that you can add to protocol. So basically, um, it works with a period of uh, seven days. And for each period of seven days, there is what we call a curation reward that rewards the voters on the protocol. And there is an editor reward that rewards the researchers on the protocol. And basically, the goal of the researchers is to submit proposals on the protocol. And only the protocol operates in such a way that only 70, about 70% 70 of the proposals are going to be accepted. So the more the time advances, the more the competition increases, and the more you have to produce quality proposals in order to be accepted. And this way, it promotes open source medical research. And the researchers, when they submit proposals, it's like they have to put a collateral for the proposal. Uh, it's a stacking system. So basically, there is a currency. It has its own uh, currency. It's, it is its own economy. So it's not about raising funds and then funding uh, researches within the current system, because I don't think this is going to work but it is going to really use open source system. So in first place, there is competition, but then people have to share their work. So it's a, 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 right, um, a, a right mix of competition and sharing the results throughout the process of the research. And this is really, really different from the current system. Um, there are some facts that are, again, mind blowing. Well, let me just ask you a question. And on the current system, you know, the researchers, when they make, uh, they try to make open source research, um, they, so they have to invest to make their researches and then they have the result, right? So you would expect for them to be paid, right? So how do you think the current system works? How, how much do you think they are paid if they make open source research and then they publish, they publish their researches? Well, I do know that there is a huge issue with um, conflicts of interest because a lot of the science is funded by governments, right? There is no free yeah, market. There is also this problem. There is also this problem. Yeah, yeah. Is, so for, for, for the aspect, the researchers, they, may, they invest to make the researches and then they publish the results. Well, within the current system, not only they are not paid when they publish, but they have to pay, you know? And they have to pay huge amounts, you know, like they pay uh, the average price when they publish is 3,500 for one article. So this is crazy. You know, so they are, they are like centralized uh, journals, what we call uh, journals. And the researchers, they want to publish in these centralized journals that made them pay to publish. <laughs> this is a crazy system. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. 
Wow. Yeah, this is a crazy system, you know. And what I want to create is an open source way to make uh, medical research. And not only the researchers, they will not have to pay, but they will be paid, you know, by, by a neutral protocol on the blockchain. And I mean, there is, there is so much to do with a protocol that will be open source for medical research. No, that's such that's such a huge thing. There is going to be a huge demand for that, especially as the government runs out of money, right? How else are we going to fund science? Uh, but we do find that there is a huge loss of faith in the scientific community because, first off, a lot of the uh, tests and a lot of the experiments that they do aren't reproduced, and a lot of the results that they get aren't reproduced. And so there's a reproducibility crisis, if I understand, in science because it's almost turned into a kind of welfare scheme, right? Where you just pay a bunch of people who have gone through like eight years of government theology indoctrination in order to get their degree. And now in order to make money, they've got to, you know, produce a lot of these uh, scientific experiments and results, many of which are never done again. And a lot of these experiments, like nobody even knows what the utility of these experiments are. Like, it's like, can rats float in zero gravity? It's just like, oh man, <laughs> what is going on here? What do we need to know this for? Uh, and so I think that this is a great way to uh, concretize good scientific quality information that the public needs. And it's a way that the public could fund and uh, provide assistance to scientists who are actually doing real work. Does that sound about right? Yes, exactly. Because I don't think, you know, a lot of people think that when they hear that uh, some institutions, uh, they, they spend billions to create one medicine, well, in general, there are just small teams of 10 to 15 people that actually work. A lot of the budget is going in the commercial, in the commercial process and, and all additional you know, costs that they have. But the, the core of the research, uh, a very small amount goes to, into this. And what you are talking about, the reproductibility of the research, is that since it's a competition for intellectual property, it means that maybe you have three teams in three different uh, companies that are working in competition so they never share their results and basically they do the same experiments they will produce the same experiments and they never share the results and it is the first team that arrives to the intellectual property and the results that then is going to uh, try to refund all its um, costs you know but if there was a, a system where they could share the results throughout the process and be rewarded by a neutral pro protocol at the same moment. So it removes the need for intellectual property. And at the same time, it improves the quality of the research and it makes it faster because they share the results throughout the process and not just for intellectual property. So it's a completely new system of thinking about it. I don't know if it is going to replace the current system, maybe not, but maybe it will work uh, alongside the current system and it will also be a competition for the current system and force them sometimes to work and to tackle certain diseases because right now they only go for the diseases where there are the most of the profits. And for instance, you know, uh, the people who have a disease uh, called a diabetes. So... Uh, you said diabetes? Yeah, excuse me, diabetes. Okay, yes, sure. So, you know, the industry, they didn't want to tackle this issue so there was an open source project that was launched and they created their own solution. And then the industry started to react and uh, has now tackled this issue and uh, given them something that they wanted. And I mean, 
I truly think that if people realize what we can do with open source medical research, this will be a potential new revolution as well, you know. And I truly want to 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 pro, to, to do the necessary to 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 see such a protocol happen, you know. And again, I would not have any privilege in this protocol. We were going to relaunch it completely, you know, from scratch. And uh, the Etka uh, token, we can mine it. So people will be able to mine it right from the beginning. Actually, there is a process, you know, to uh, organize the distribution of the first tokens. Um, like we have, uh, we have planned a period of uh, 10 years where people will be able to mine it. And as well as earn tokens by participating in the in the protocol, and then after ten years, uh, we will reach um, the the uh, maximum level of ethical that people can mine, and there will be an inflation of about two and a half percent per year, and this is this inflation that will fund the creation reward and editor reward system, and then uh, make this protocol I hope possible. Very cool. And I could go on about this. I love science. I could go on about this for hours, right? I mean, because people have lost so much faith in science and given big pharma um, manipulating science in order to meet their uh, profit motives. That's not great either. Uh, and we're seeing that yeah. a lot today uh, with the current situation. So um, that's great. And given your love of science, I think that backs a lot of what you talk about in Monero. And yes. I'll, I'll put the link below for the Etika protocol for if people want to check that out. I think that's yeah, some really yeah. interesting stuff that you're doing there. Um, and if you want to send me some stuff to put there too, that'd be great. What's that? Yeah, if, if people want, they can go on etikaprotocol.org and they will see the white paper because with my words, it's, sometimes it's hard to explain it, but the white paper really it explains everything about the protocol. It's uh, about nine pages, but everything is explained in the white paper much better than I can explain and with greater details. But yes, that's it. And uh, again, we're going to try to launch it um, in the coming month, completely open source, uh, no pre-mine, no, nothing on this. It's really about decentralized science and hopefully uh, this will be a revolution for the medical system. That would be awesome, man. Praying for your success. That's awesome. Um, so let's, let's uh, hopscotch back to Monero, I think that was some really interesting stuff. And you were talking about science. You're you're an interested science uh, aficionado, I think. Are you uh, a scientist? Is that your background? I mean, I know that you're a blockchain developer, which to me is like science. But uh, is that part of your background, science? Uh, no, I mean, in uh, high school, I, I I got a degree in, um, in science, but it's not my my specialty. Okay. But uh, you do talk about on your channel DNA storage and quantum <laughs> scalability for Monero, which just is pretty mind-blowing stuff. And so I want to dig into that a little bit because you had made a video about DNA storage. And one of the problems yes. with Monero, as far as I'm concerned, is the limitations that we have on CPU and bandwidth. Um, it's not that it's not scalable on the protocol because we have dynamic block size and tail emission and things like this, which are great. We talked about that with Arctic Mon, if people want to go check out that interview. But it looks like one of our main limitations is just the hardware that we have. And you dug into some innovations going on with DNA storage. So what implications, like what is DNA storage first off? What are uh, some cool things going on with that? Well, basically DNA storage is that now 
in the future, you will have the possibility to store very, to store very large amount of data in tiny spaces. So basically, this is the main thing to, to, to remember. And how it works is that you have three different kinds of uh, technologies and that are actually, uh, right now they are in development, but uh, in um, the pace of the uh, development is, is, is mind blowing and very huge. So the first thing is that you have the technology that enable to read the DNA. So this is uh, the DNA sequencing and there is already a lot of research in this. And then you have the technology that enables to write the DNA. So this is what we call uh, DNA, um, excuse me, so, uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, Yes, so DNA synthesis. Excuse me for this. DNA synthesis. Yes. Okay. Because yeah, English is not my first language, you know. So. No, totally. <laughs> so, we got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And basically, now you have Microsoft. Like in 2019, they made a breakthrough, because up until now, when you wanted to make the link between the DNA technology and the computers, you had to have um, um, tech laboratory technicians that make some manipulations, you know. But in 2019, Microsoft, they created a system that make it completely automated. So it's like a new kind of generation of computers where you will have the link between the computer, the hardware of the computer, and in the backup, a DNA system that can store very large amount of data in tiny spaces. So for blockchain, what, in, what it implies is that you have the possibility to store very large amount of data for every node, you know, because right now when people say that there is a problem of scalability, is that potentially we have the technical hardware to store very large amount of data, but it requires a lot of space. But in blockchain, we need decentralization, and then we need something that can be done by average uh, nodes. So this is why we want something in tiny spaces. And with DNA, this is exactly what is necessary. You know, this is like, this is on demand for Monero. <laughs> right now, Kevin, <laughs> you're going to freak people out, man. You're going to have people think, oh, Kevin wants to inject Monero into my DNA. That's not cool. No, no. So no, no. Let, uh, let's clarify yes. that concern real quick yeah. because Microsoft, they do some sketchy things, right? I mean, they've release patents to mine people's delta waves when they're sleeping and to mine their heartbeats and to pay people in cryptocurrency for their biological data. So when people hear Microsoft DNA storage, that doesn't excite them too much. So let's flesh this out. What does this mean? Could this be used in a way that's actually private, which is the hope of Monero? You, 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 because I mean, there is absolutely no threat. Like they want to inject DNA in the, the, it's like really for computers, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, um, I, I I don't know about the other actions of Microsoft, but for this part, uh, it's just really about the, um, making a new kind of generation of computers, and then for the scalability of uh, Monero, I think it will be extremely um, extremely useful, you know, because we will be able to store extremely large amount of data in uh, in tiny spaces, so. With this, this is crazy. And also my last video, I published about uh, the bandwidth revolution, you know, with uh, quantum technology. So mm -hmm. the quantum internet is coming. And with this, it will also be revolution for the bandwidth. So 
the combination of uh, DNA data storage plus the quantum internet for the monitor scalability this is more than enough, you know, and this is going, to, I think the coming years are going to be extremely good for Monero. <laughs> That's great. Um, but on the DNA storage with, I think I saw a picture in the slideshow that you were talking about with a fossil, which would be uh, like a USB chip would be integrated into like a dinosaur fossil or something like that, which would already have DNA in there. And then you could plug that into your computer. Is that kind of how it would work? Like uh, mm. it wouldn't be your DNA per se. It would be the DNA of something that they extracted into uh, like a fossil or something like that. Is that right? Because um, okay, so it means that for, for the fossil, it means that the DNA uh, storage, it can last very long, you know, like it can last for, uh, it's extremely durable. So uh, it's a technology, the DNA that can store information for 100,000 years or 700,000 years. So this is, this is it. And so hmm. they, were, they were able to take the information that, were, that was stored uh, in the DNA and then transform it into digital information. So you, you, you see, so they, they yeah. took what was uh, into a form of DNA and they succeeded in transforming this into uh, dig digital information. That's it. Very cool. So that takes cold storage to the next level. Yeah. <laughs> Not just pass it on to your children. We're going to pass it on to the next paleontological species down the line. So that's interesting. Um, and then the quantum scalability, uh, because scalability, I think I was talking to Arctic Mind. He mentioned that he got into Monero because of its scalability. Actually, it wasn't even the privacy. It was the scalability. Because one of the issues with different cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, even in some of these others, is that it has a limited amount of coins that could be mined. And when we hit that limit or you approach that limit, the block rewards for the miners get so small that you have to rely on transaction fees in order for the blockchain to function, in order to incentivize no. the miners to continue to mine it. And so Monero doesn't really have that problem because you have tail emission, you have uh, a continuous reward for miners to continue to mine the blockchain. Um, so Monero has a better scalability outcome, according to Arctic Mine, because people may just stop mining the Bitcoin and other blockchains because they're not receiving enough incentive to do that. And it's speculation as to now uh, whether or not transaction fees could incentivize the miners enough. It's just sort of like a speculative hand-waving away of that issue. Uh, Monero has preempted that issue with the tail emission. So in regards to DNA storage, in regards to quantum uh, scalability, how do these play into making Monero better than the competition? Well, the tail emission? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, there is no link between tail emission and... Uh... You mean in general, my vision about the telemission? Yeah, yeah. So uh, how does Monero scalability with quantum uh, scalability okay. make yeah. it better? Yeah, yeah. because yes, uh, when people talk about Monero and Bitcoin, a lot of time uh, we, we don't underline enough the fact that there is telemission in Monero because uh, a lot of projects, I mean, uh, almost all the cryptocurrencies they have followed Bitcoin in the idea of uh, limitation of the supply. So they don't have tail emission. They are preferred to follow Bitcoin for limited supply. 
but we don't know what happens when we come close to the end of uh, the emission, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I mean, there is a lot of contradictions in what they say, because they say at the same time that everything is going to be on layer two. And on the same time that there will be transaction fees uh, that will fund the network. But if there are transaction fees and everyone is on layer two, then who's going to pay transaction fees on layer one? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, good but, point, good point. Yeah, right. But yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Monero really is like the perfect edge for, for I mean, for Bitcoin, you know, because <laughs> it's like not only is about fungibility and privacy, but on top of that, you have state emission. I mean, <laughs> right. And Monero doesn't really even need a layer two. I mean, it's already instantaneous. Like you send some Monero to somebody, they get the indication yeah. that they've received it instantaneously. Now it's going to be zero confirmation. And yeah. maybe some people are more comfortable getting that first confirmation, which may take a few minutes, but ultimately it's instantaneously. It's instantaneous. But like you're saying here with DNA storage, quantum scalability, you, we won't even need to worry about a layer two. Uh, it's going to be fine on its own layer one protocol. Yes, and here I thought I I had like a couple of days ago, you know, and I mean, uh, I'm not going to, I don't want to afraid Bitcoin maximalists, all right? If there are Bitcoin maximalists listening. Oh, we <laughs> totally do. We totally do. <laughs> Dump that crap. Get into Monero right now. <laughs> yeah, but if, there are, if there are one single Bitcoin maximalist, I mean, uh, don't listen to what I'm going to say because you're going to be so frightened. This is crazy. <laughs> but I mean, a possibility is that uh, Monero becomes the chain for large transactions and private transactions, and Bitcoin, Bitcoin becomes the chain for microtransactions and transactions that don't really matter, you know, because you, you there is also a need for microtransactions, you know, because uh, for small payments that don't have any real value and all of this, maybe. Uh, you need a, a chain for big, like Bitcoin that will do the work. But for large transactions and medium transactions, I truly believe that the scale scalability of Monero would be more than enough to be to have everything on layer one. You know, so you can have a blockchain that handle everything on layer one for medium and large scale transactions, large volume transactions, meaning that you can make medium payments and large payments into Monero. On layer one, and when you want to do uh, stuff like paying on the internet for uh, for something like is much less than a cent or small payments, you know all of these uh, transactions that go uh, faster than uh, less than a second, all of these you can use Bitcoin, Lightning Network, and all of this, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's a possibility, and I think that would be the best possibility because you will have layer one, a transactional blockchain with fungibility, privacy, and all of these in the layer one. And then Bitcoin becomes a kind of a layer two, <laughs> or I mean, it's not a layer two, but it's a, it's a, I mean, it 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 changes the 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 hierarchy. That's a world. I don't know. Yeah, it changes the hierarchy. So yeah, the hierarchy, instead of know. Bitcoin being used for large payments, it would be used for small payments, and that yeah. would be on the Lightning Network, presumably. Now, yes. my question then would be: Why not just use Litecoin? Why? go through the trouble of getting onboarded to the lightning network because that's got you know that takes an extra transaction and some other derivative things but uh so why would you say that monero can't be used for micro transactions it's just not as uh uh like what what would be the reason for that just not as efficient because we don't have 
because the fact we don't have a layer two, it has some uh, some inconvenience because I mean, we if we don't have layer two, it means we don't have a kind of lightning network. So for transactions like you know with lightning network, what what you can do is like you can make some payments that are extremely fast, but because it's not on the main chain, you know. But since in uh, Monero we will have everything on layer one, it means that just for the block time and all of this, it will take at least three minutes and something like this, you know. So that's the reason why you cannot have this kind of very fast payments like you see in some certain games and all of this on, on, on the Lightning Network. Mm. But again, I think that the design of Bitcoin Lightning Network and Bitcoin is very good for micropayments, you know. But for large-scale transactions and medium transactions with high volume, I truly think that Monero is really better done. And also, uh, it's something that we have covered in one of my videos, is that with Monero, there is no link between the liquidity of the network and the market cap. But with Bitcoin Lightning Network, there is a link between the liquidity you can have within the network and the market cap. So if you want to increase the liquidity and the total amount of transactional volume possible on the network, you need to increase the market cap of Bitcoin. And that's a huge problem, you know, because it's, uh, well, um, I don't have the figures in front of me, but in, in uh, the video, I show that if you want to make like uh, 100 times the transactional volume of PayPal, you would need a, a market cap of Bitcoin that is crazy, you know, like uh, more than 100 billion or even more. Than, I mean, I don't, maybe a thousand billion, I don't know, but it, it was like crazy, crazy numbers. Yeah, Bitcoin's got a lot of issues. Um, the Lightning Network, I'm pretty skeptical about because it's going to take a long time to onboard people to the Lightning Network, given the amount of transactions per second that Bitcoin is limited to, uh, because you can only have like five to six transactions per second on the base Bitcoin blockchain and to yeah. upload, you know, a billion people, just a billion people, not the six billion that we have, but just a billion onto the Lightning Network, assuming decentralization, they're not being onboarded to like a Chivo wallet, centralized nightmare that they have in El Salvador. Uh, yeah. It's going to take like 25 years at least uh, if you're focusing, you know, I think I calculated 25% of all the Bitcoin payments happening per day on just onboarding people to the Lightning Network. So that's really problematic to me um, in regards to using micro payments. You know, maybe you could use something like Xano or Pirate Chain or just another private digital currency, which may not have as much traffic as Monero does. Um, maybe you could use that for micro payments, which is why I like to talk about the Freedom Coin Covenant. I like to talk about different coins in the sector. Some people in Monero aren't too excited about that, but I think that there are some other coins doing great things out there that could be used for you know, different uh, use cases. And I think maybe micropayments would be more in the camp of like Xano. Uh, there's some interesting things going on with Xano. Uh, we'll talk about that in another video, but it's really fast. Like I've looked at it, it's pretty fast. Uh, their wallets have aliases. So, you know, my alias is at Mateo. And so uh, it's it's kind of a cool thing that they've got going on there. It could be good mm -hmm. for micropayments. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think that Monero is certainly going to be better for mid and big transactions than Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Monero, you have like a lockup thing uh, to a certain degree where your Monero is locked for a few minutes before you can use it. And maybe in regards to micropayments, if you're looking to, you know, shuffle around a lot of cash in a liquid way, 
maybe not going to be the best, but for, you know, medium to large payments, it's pretty optimal, especially because it's private and fungible. Right. So um, that's really good. That's really good. So another thing that you talk about, Kevin, if uh, we can move on to this conversation, which a lot of people are looking forward to, because this is what you came on Monero talk to talk about, which was the uh, which was Monero's liquidity and the speculation that there is a bit of price manipulation that could be happening with Monero that keeps the price down. And on Monero Talk, uh, Chris Guy was out there. Chris Guy loves Monero, which is great. Chris Guy, we love you. He was talking about how one of the main ways to control Monero was to suppress the price and to sort of have a lot of the Bitcoin bros and the gain seekers, what I call the crypto coomers, be turned off by the lack of gains that they see in Monero. And so Monero just kind of gets suppressed. It moves down in the rankings as far as you're able to suppress it. And so that seemed rather wise to me, the way he said that, because you can't stop it. You can't just shut it off. But if you suppress the price enough and make it unattractive to people who are just in the game for gains, which seems to be a lot of people, unfortunately, in the crypto community, well, uh, that could be pretty bad for its adoption. So Let's talk about this Binance price manipula- price manipulation yeah, uh, topic here. So, uh, what is going on with that? Well, um, <clears throat> you know, I, for me, my my personal vision now is that I start to envision a world that is post Binance. You know, I, I think that Binance is it's an exchange that uh, in the coming years, you know is going to lose its dominance on the market. And this is going to be extremely good for, for Monero. But in the current moment, we are, I think we are still uh, under the actions of Binance, so we have to talk about it. And I think that, well, uh, what we had is the withdrawal problem, you know, uh, for more than a week, it was impossible to retrieve Monero from, from Binance. Then the mining pools, they stopped also withdrawals exactly at the moment of the crisis. Then we have seen on the chart XMR BNB that there was a huge volume exactly on, on the moment of the crisis. They they bought Monero with uh, Binance Coin. Then we have seen also that there is a huge discrepancy in between uh, the daily volume on Binance and the order book for what, what we would expect, you know, if they had the same ratio as uh, Kraken. And uh, now they are people that are saying that they have huge problems also to retrieve Monero from other exchanges like uh, OKX. There was a user that uh, wasn't able to retrieve for more than five months and people also from certain mining pools. So uh, I think what happened that Binance took some liquidity from these ex- exchanges and mining pools. And now we are going to, to, to start no problems with them. And also sometimes, time to time, there are people saying that uh, their withdrawals from Binance take uh, some time. But what I believe at the end of the day that there is no question now about the actions of Binance. And at, uh, one, at one moment, they, they, they're going to face the consequences of their actions and Monero is going to be free from them. This is my, my belief. And um, now I think, yes, it has huge consequences on the price because there is a huge price uh, suppression. And this is the last uh, action I think the governments can take against Monero and this is exactly what we are seeing right now you know the the price of Monero is like even less than uh, half of its previous all-time high 
when all the other cryptos they are multiples of their previous all-time high mm. although monero is uh the fundamentals of monero are skyrocketing you know the transactions the volume of transactions your last video about it i have to watch it you know yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i mean yeah, we've noticed the transaction volume booming and yeah it's boomed ever since 2016 but ever since the run-up in 2017 like it seems the price hasn't really done much uh and so this wards off a lot of people but at the same time like real world use case from Monero continues to boom black markets are only allowing for Monero to be used in transactions and so yeah. you'd expect more people to be buying this stuff and yes while Monero is probably more likely used as a real world currency than many other cryptos out there which are ranked right. above it it's odd that if you have that trend you don't have people buying this stuff just to hold it and get exposure to it um yeah which means that the price would have to go up. And so it, it's a weird thing that's happening. Um, yeah. So, also, think, yeah, sure. Excuse me. You have something to say? No, I was just about to ask you. So Binance, uh, you think, is being used by authorities to suppress the price of Monero because that's the real crypto they're concerned about. Honestly, I don't know who is behind the scenes, you know. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. that Binance has some interest to sell paper Monero, and they, this is what they are probably doing. And that uh, maybe some institutions, governments are shorting Monero, naked shorting Monero, because the ratio of naked short on Monero is extremely high. This is crazy. And uh, these institutions, they are not afraid to lose money, but what they want is Monero down. So they are not afraid, yes, to short the price extremely severely. Uh, there are some users uh, that say that, uh, for instance, the weight... Uh, to borrow Monero for in, on certain exchanges, it's like 30%. So people are willing to to pay 30%, you know, just to borrow Monero and short the price. So this is crazy. Really? Yeah, yeah, this is crazy. This is crazy. Completely crazy. And also, also something I wanted to add is a new theory possible. You know, uh, there was a woman, I think her name is uh, Carol Alexander. Uh, she talked about the Monero, uh, the Binance uh, issue. Yes, her name, her name is uh, Carol Alexander. So uh, basically, she made uh, an article on her website um, and she talks about the dominance of Binance on the market and the fact that uh, Binance is a main exchange when it comes to uh, Bitcoin price transmission. So what it means that she compared... Bitcoin price uh, suppression? No, Bitcoin price uh, transmission. transmission. So basically... Okay. Yeah, transmission. So basically that it's Binance that is leading the price of Bitcoin over other exchanges. So what she did is she made a comparison between Binance and the three main other exchanges that are Coinbase, Kraken, and Bitstamp. And she says that Binance leads the price of Bitcoin 70%, you know. So 70% of the price of Bitcoin is led by the Binance exchange. And only thirty uh, percent by Coinbase, Kraken, and Bitsamp. You know, so Binance really controls the price of Bitcoin in a huge way. That's why she published on. Uh, uh, if you want, I will uh, send, send you the link. Sure. So yeah. Binance really controls the price of, of uh, Bitcoin. And if we remember what happened during the crisis of Monero, is that the very moment Monero has reached its previous all-time high. This is when the price of Bitcoin drop, dropped, you know? So is this just a coincidence? I don't know. <laughs> really, I don't know. But 
the moment uh, Moneo was about to skyrocket because it has reached its previous autumn high, this is when the price of Bitcoin has dropped severely, you know. Yeah. You know, so... Well, so one one question that I do have is Coinbase does not have Monero listed notoriously on their exchange. Yes. But if you go on Coinbase, you can actually find a Monero chart and they show you Monero financial information and things like this. But they say it's not listed on our exchange. Now, we could speculate as to why that's the case. Uh, Arctic Mine seems to think they're already walking on thin ice with the regulators and so therefore don't want to plunge into the sea uh, by listing Monero, which is, I guess, a sensitive topic to regulators because of its capacity to conceal identity and to conceal the ownership of assets. Uh, And there is seemingly something in the new crypto digital asset security bill, which uh, is antagonistic to what they call anonymity enhancing services like uh, Monero or other cryptocurrencies, but so you're saying that the price of Monero is influenced by Coinbase too, and Coinbase gets their price from Binance. Coinbase does not have supply and demand mechanics, which help facilitate the true price discovery of Monero. They get that from Binance from where there isn't true price discovery because of their manipulation. Do I have that right? Uh, excuse me, because um, uh, I think I wasn't clear because I was talking about the price disco- uh, the um, transmission price of Bitcoin. So Monero, oh, Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, excuse me. So Binance, they are the main uh, exchange that uh, leads the price of Bitcoin. You know, so the moves of the price of Bitcoin. Uh, she says that seventy percent it comes from Binance, and then other exchanges. Uh, follow what happens on Binance. So they basically control the direction of the Bitcoin price, 70%, you know. And what, what I was saying is that since they control the price of Bitcoin, and we have seen that the moment that uh, we have reached the all-time high of Monero, then the Bitcoin price has dropped severely and uh, all the market has dropped. So maybe they saw that Monero was going to rise extremely high but they know that there was a liquidity problem of Monero. So they try to potentially drop the price of Bitcoin so that everything drops. And since we know that they control 70% of uh, the price move of uh, Bitcoin, so they lead the price of Bitcoin in a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in a huge way. So then maybe, I mean, this is a theory I had a few days ago. <coughs> so maybe there, this is the reason why the price of Bitcoin and the the, <clears throat> the world market has dropped exactly at the moment when uh, Monero has reached its all-time high. Okay, okay. You, you, I see where you're coming from. I would need to look into that a little bit more because then the speculation is that they dumped the price of Bitcoin because they're worried about Monero. Um, yeah, that would be a possibility. I don't know. Again, uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, that would be a possibility. I don't know. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, I would probably err on the side that wasn't the case um, because you have so much money in Bitcoin and, you know, you have Bitcoin as a market leader and you have a lot of people setting up algorithms for other cryptos for when Bitcoin, you know, breaches certain critical thresholds on the downside, then they sell the other cryptos just because that's how the market unfortunately now works. Um, I, I would need to look into that. That's an interesting theory, but you do offer some 
other ancillary evidence that Binance does manipulate the price of Monero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just uh, no uh, kind of additional th theory, you know, but uh, this is definitely not the most uh, serious one. But yeah, I mean, because it's uh, the coincidence is uh, strange, you know, that the market drops exactly at the moment when Monero reached its all time high. And mm. also, maybe, maybe they didn't do it on purpose. Maybe they just wanted to. Um, have a small effect, but then you have a domino effect, you know, and maybe such a drop wasn't intended. I, I don't know again, but uh, yeah, there's just uh, this fact, you know. Well, I do know recently, uh, my buddy's super into technical analysis. Jesse, shout out to you. But uh, Bitcoin has been on the firing line of 50,000, and Monero was reaching that 315 technical level. And from what he told me and from what I understood from the charts he was showing me, there is no resistance from 315 up to 500. Assuming that Bitcoin passed 50,000 and took the entire crypto market with it, it did not pass that threshold or at least stay past that threshold. And so Monero dropped down to something like 220, 230, something like that. So it does seem to see, it does seem that Monero follows Bitcoin, unfortunately. Um, that's just how the crypto market functions. That's just how it works. Uh, but I think you make some other interesting points. And uh, so that that is interesting because we do know that in gold and silver markets, there's a lot of naked shorting. And I'd be interested to see what those stats are. Like, where'd you get those stats for the naked shorting for Monero? Is yeah. that on FTX? No, it, it comes from a website that is called Data Mish. Data Mish. Okay. And basically, uh, it's a developer that made uh, this uh, website. So I contacted him as well. And he told me that uh, all its information comes from the exchange uh, Bytefinex. And they, he didn't find any API for, for Binance. So they don't share the data on, on Binance. So everything comes from uh, Bytefinex. And uh, the ratio of the naked shorts is alarming because, for instance, on Bitcoin, it's like 80%. So 80% of the shorts, you know, they are age. But on Monero, it's like 0.01%. <laughs> so this is crazy. That is interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. that's definitely interesting stuff. <laughs> um, because we do know they do that with gold and silver. Like that's a documented fact. And they yeah. don't like gold and silver. Yeah. It's an inflation indicator. And when gold and silver goes up, that makes inflation look more than what they posted as because they manipulate the CPI, they manipulate all the inflation statistics, and gold and silver have always been honest inflation measures until JP Morgan got in control of the market and started dumping naked shorts on top of it, covering up how much inflation that there actually was, which was one of the reasons why there was that Reddit silver squeeze that happened back in January. People were like figuring this out and they're like, we need to take down these banks. They have a huge short position. Let's buy physical silver and squeeze them. And it got up to like $30, $31. And then, you know, the empire strike back and, you know, killed it. So we do know that that's a thing that's well documented. We know that a lot of people have been arrested uh, at big banks for doing price manipulation in gold and silver. And so if there are certain financial instruments that threaten their plans and certainly, Monero would be one of those currencies which do that. I mean, I suspect to a certain degree, the reason Bitcoin and some other cryptos haven't been as heavily regulated or uh, 
or attacked, I guess you could say, by the powers that be is because they don't want to spook people into Monero. Like they don't want to spook people into the Freedom Coin Covenant where people can hide their balances. Uh, people won't be exposed to unrealized capital gains, we've, which we talked about, which would be wealth confiscation pretty much. And to know what everybody's doing with their money, to know how much money people have, that's a lot of information that you could use to have leverage over the population. And so I imagine Monero is the real threat to them. And by not going after big cryptos like Bitcoin, which show how much you have as a balance, show who you're transacting with, show you know a lot about your financial uh, life, uh, they don't want to spook people out of that because that serves some uh, some goal of theirs, in my opinion. So I think there's some interesting speculation to go into that. Um, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So um, we talked about why Monero is the best cryptocurrency. We know that as a fact. We love Monero here. Um, but I do want to get your comments as to maybe some other projects going on in what I like to call the Freedom Coin Covenant, the Freedom Coin sector with, you know, Pirate Chain, Darrow, Haven. We had an interesting interview with someone from Haven. Looks like a pretty promising project. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of these other projects? Well, uh, for <laughs> I may... My my honest vision about about this. Well, let's say that Monero for me Monero is not an altcoin anymore, and it's uh, potentially the new Bitcoin. Right? I, I think that Monero is the new Bitcoin for the coming years. So, well, uh, when it comes to power chain, <laughs> I think <laughs> if Monero is the new Bitcoin, I would say that power chain is a new Bitcoin cash. You know. So I thought you were about to say it was the new Dodge coin. <laughs> I was like, no, but no, yes, I mean, that'd be great. Good gains there. <laughs> the new Dodge coin is a uh, Nero. It's Nero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nero actually has some pretty good privacy specs. There's some guy who keeps commenting on my channel wanting me to give shout outs to Wow Nero. And I think it's a joke, but at the same time, you look into it, it's got like yeah, it's a new one. ring signatures it's a new one. and it's actually kind of private. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new one. It's a new one. Yeah. But yes, I, I think, um, well, when it comes to power chain, you know, uh, I, I'm not a su really supporter of this project. You know, uh, I, I hear some people say there was a pre-mine and all this. And at the end of the day, there was Monero, you know. And why why create a new cryptocurrency, you know? Because some people say, well, there was Bitcoin. Why did you create Monero? Well, we, we created Monero because we need fungibility, you know? And fungibility is something that needs to be on any currency, you know, any cryptocurrency. So there was a huge need for this. But then if there is another coin that says, I do the same thing that Monero, but I'm more fast or I'm more this or more that, it doesn't really matter because you don't have something really essential. You know, Monero, it adds fungibility, privacy. So this is why I prefer Monero over Bitcoin, you know, because this is huge. But now... Since Monero does it perfectly, I don't see why I would go for another one. And at the end of the day, this is my vision. And uh, honestly, what I believe is that some people, maybe they are trying to, to, give, to, to, to get more gains. But what I would say is that, well, with Monero, if it goes where it has to go, you will have more than enough gains, you know. And by trying to go to other projects and all of this, uh, you, you just make it... Uh, it's like you create a kind of illusion and then uh, some people, when they discover privacy currency, they don't know where to go and all of this. But at the end of the day, I think it will be about Monero, you know, the same way that now we see that Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, 
well, they become less and less important. And well, I, I truly think, but this is good because it also shows that Muno uh, is maybe the next Bitcoin because yes, <laughs> we have uh, our Bitcoin cash now. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. I have uh, my certain set of arguments as to why I think Pirate Chain is interesting, uh, why different coins are interesting. I'd like to also get your thoughts on Haven and some other things like Darrow because Darrow also does private smart contracts. Haven does private stable coins. Uh, I was looking to do a video on Concealed Network. Concealed Network does uh, private banking where you can get interest payments and you can send private messages on the concealed network. So there are a lot of interesting things in the space, which I think diversify the capacities yeah. of private blockchains, which I think is cool. But in regards to pirate chain, people wonder why I like pirate chain. And yes, I'm not saying it's perfect. I have had some uh, issues that I've brought up with Captain Draith of pirate chain who addressed some of my concerns. One of my concerns though, continues to be the lack of tail mission. Uh, I believe that's something which makes Monero absolutely key. Uh, because you know, one of my main concerns is that as you approach the final block uh, to be included in the rewards, you know, how does that not centralize mining? How does that not disincentivize people to uh, mine pirate chain? Right. I, I think you need a tail mission, and he said he wasn't opposed to tail mission. So maybe that's something which is coming for pirate chain. We don't really know though. But one thing about you know pirate chain, you had mentioned that well, if something already works. Why mess with uh, other things, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you go out into society, you've got Burger King, you've got McDonald's, you've got Five Guys, and you've got different, uh, you know, stores or different shops which provide uh, the same essential thing, which performs the same essential function, but it's just a little different. Maybe it's marketed a little bit different. Maybe, uh, you know, it fills some other niche that maybe isn't fulfilled by the other uh, shop or something like this or the other product with pirate chain this is what i find interesting about it i think pirate chain markets privacy coins differently than monero um there was some lady from microsoft or google out there and she had done a poll she's like should i get into pirate chain or should i get into darrow and she didn't say anything about monero and so people brought up to this it brought this up to her she, they're like Okay, so you're talking about pirate chain, you're talking about Daryl. Have you ever heard of Monero, like the real deal, like the real privacy <laughs> coin that everybody has been into since 2014? Why are you not mentioning this? And she's like, Oh, well, that's interesting. I just heard about pirate chain from a friend of mine or something like this. I forgot what she said. But when you have more coins out there, which do different marketing, which attract different populations into different markets, that brings people into the space. And when people are then interested, in privacy coins they'll say hmm, what's the best one and then they'll do research and maybe they'll consider monero to be the best one then they'll go into monero so i'm not one of these people who thinks that it's a zero-sum game i don't think that oh well you have pirate chain that's going to take market share and attention away from monero i think it could bring in more market participants who will then be curious about other projects in the space you know they'll go to places like trade ogre which is one of the main places to get pirate chain they'll look at other coins which are in that top 10 or top 20 or whatever and they'll be like huh what's going on with these and that's the story with me that's why i've gotten into some of these other weird cryptos right it's because i'm on these exchanges like trade ogre i see the competition i see these other projects doing different privacy things and i'm like oh cool let's check this out and so i think you get into monero by having other projects which entice different markets and then they get into monero with you know 
that proximity or that uh, closeness factor or something like this. Does that make sense? So I, I don't think that it's as competitive as much as it's complementary, actually. That's my position. I think that we could debate this all day. What do you think about that take, though? Well, uh, to be honest, I didn't think, I didn't uh, thought about that argument. So I, I think, yeah, uh, this is this is a, a point, you know. And uh, well, uh, to some extent, to, yes, it brings more people. So, well, this is a point, you know. <laughs> this is a point. But I, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know. This is uh, enough to because, well, think. Uh, some people say there is a premium of uh, maybe ninety. I, I mean, I, I don't know, but. I read somewhere on on the internet that there was a premium, maybe ninety percent on uh, power chain. So, since it is a private cryptocurrency, you know, so you cannot even know the amount of the premium and what is happening. You know, so when you launch a new token, I think the initial way of distributing the initial supply is extremely important, and the fact that there was potentially a huge premium on uh, power chain. Uh, one question it. Uh, I have is what is then the intent of the creator of this token? And my second question is then what does it mean for all the people that follow and go into this coin? You know, but I think yeah. that's a, I think that's an interesting take. Uh, I asked Drath about that because that's a concern that I receive a lot about Pirate Chain that there's a 90% pre mine. He says there was no pre mine, uh, it's just that a lot of the blocks were mined early on. And it could be that they're mined by the same people. Now, what's the difference between that and a pre-mine? Uh, that's up for speculation and interpretation. But here's why that doesn't bother me too much. Um, you make a good point about what is the intent of the creators of Pirate Chain if they want yeah, to get it. a lot of the coins early and then dump it on other people. That is a yeah. good point. But I want to hear arguments with people who are antagonistic to pirate chain talking about the privacy because zero snark technology is pretty good uh technology as far as i understand zero proof uh sets that seems to work quite well for privacy but here's my issue with the pre-mine argument let's say that there was a pre-mine and it's owned by a small number of hands the argument then isn't that it's a bad privacy coin the argument is that hey, wait till they dump so you can get them for a cheaper price, right? It's not that, you know, it's a price prediction argument. It's not so much, it's a bad privacy coin. It doesn't work as it's advertised. It's just the distribution of the coin makes it so that maybe you don't want to get in too early because you could be a bag holder or maybe you'll have to hold the coin longer than you would otherwise want in order to get the gains that you're looking for, assuming that you're looking for gains. So that would be one uh, argument against that. And then, of course, with any monetary system, you're going to have the 80-20 rule. You're going to have the Pareto principle kick in where 80% of the wealth is held by 20% of the population. That seems to just be how the distribution of wealth is occurring in a free uh, market economy, in a free society. A lot of people provide uh, or, or a small number of people provide most of the wealth. And then you have a hierarchy which branch, branches off from that. So the concentration of the coins isn't too big a deal to me. I think that over a certain long time span that's going to distribute itself out in accordance with natural principles. Um, but the pre-mine thing, he says there is no pre-mine. Even if it was mined early, that wouldn't be too big of a concern for me if the underlying privacy tech is working, if it's working as advertised. So what All do you right. think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, your points, you know, I think they are more interesting than uh, the points I'm used to, to hear, you know. And, well, I, I think, yes, these are good points. Now, um, again, for me, the fact that there is such a pre-mine, this is an issue. And even if on the long term, if you have a redistribution and all of this, uh, because, I mean, 90%, this is huge, you know, so... Uh, so yeah, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how it happens, you know, and everyone has a, a point of view on this, you know, and, uh, yeah, if I have to be honest, I think the fact 90%, it's, uh, it's extremely huge. And even, even if with the time you have redistribution, I mean, uh, this person who knows, you know, what happens, you know, and my main point is that about the fact that uh, Pirate Chain, what it brings compared to Monero, um, I mean, Monero technology is already enough. It does what it is supposed to. You know, it's not like uh, the booting program of uh, the US government. Uh, nobody was able to crack Monero. Mm -hmm. And I think Monero is extremely resilient. And well, even if there is a potential new technology, the fact that Monero is more than uh, resilient and it does what it is supposed to do. I mean, uh, there uh, for, for me, there would be an interest in Pirate Chain. The moment there is a doubt about the capacity of Monero to resist uh, its attacks and to be less private and all of this, then I, I would say that we need to edge against that possibility. But right now, Monero does what it is supposed to do so well that Personally, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know really. I, I'm not saying I, I'm, 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 I know, and I'm, I'm just giving my my point of view, you know. But uh, your points, I respect it, you know, because yes, uh, it's uh, at least you no, know, it's not like the points I'm used to hearing. Like uh, your points, I mean, it requires more thoughts, you know. It's uh, it's more sophisticated. <laughs> Right, because uh, I don't want to be a shill. I don't want to be that guy who's out here uh, sailing the seven seas telling you to get into something that isn't going to be good for you um, because I'm accountable for that, right? And so I have looked into this stuff a little bit. It looks like an interesting project. And another thing that I've been honest about is just I'm not a cryptographer. You know, I'm not you know, scientifically literate as to how this stuff is developed. It's novel technology. And at the end of the day, a lot of this is experimental. Right. And so mm. when it comes to uh, getting involved with one crypto, uh, that's not that's that opens you up to certain risks. And I'm not saying that Monero hasn't figured out its problems. There was a bug, though, a couple months ago, which seemed to have exposed the privacy of some people. Um, now, I'm not scientifically literate enough or scientifically literate enough to understand what exactly happened with that bug on the code level or why it happened. Um, yeah. You would anticipate that the people who uh, are pretty wise to this stuff and pretty literate on this stuff would have been able to prevent that from happening. But nevertheless, you had that happen. And so given that we're dealing with experimental novel technologies, it's also perhaps a decent idea to diversify your exposure to this space. Um, so that's just another argument that I have uh, in case something happens with one particular crypto. Maybe it's not a bad idea to have exposure to a backup. Um, and I think that 
is just another good argument in regards to that case. But anyways, anyways, I'm trying to evangelize pirate chain. This is about Monero. Um, but that's interesting. That's interesting. Is So Monero is number one for you. Um, yeah. Are there any other crypto projects other than Monero and Etica that you're interested in? Honestly, for me, it's uh, I envision a future where there would be Monero first, Monero main blockchain for transactions. And Beacon has already an advantage when it comes to uh, the use and the fact that it was a first uh, token. But I think that over the long term, there is two possibilities. Uh, Monero is going to rise, but I don't know if it is going to potentially replace Bitcoin, you know. But I, I truly think that the, 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 I mean, even on the chart, when you look, you know, you see that the uh, Monero dominance is, I think it's at, is, uh, the low, you know. Um, and in the, um, I mean, in the world cryptocurrency market, uh, Monero, I think, is going to, to rise much more than any other uh, on the coming years, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's that's my point of view. You know, I think that in, in the future, Monero importance on the world will rise because people will will see that they need what Monero offers. They need fungibility. They need privacy uh, because I think that the governments, the as the inflation will arrive and hyperinflation will come, uh, the people they will be under the pressure of governments and the governments will not have the choice but to. Uh, implement very harsh measures you know and mm. at the end of the day i think that having some monero will protect a lot of people in the world you know that's my yeah. point of view yeah i think that's a great point of view and yeah. just to give a shout out to somebody who reached out to me um there is a current proposal uh i'm not i think this was in the new bounty system that they have set up in the monero ecosystem where uh, for like small time projects that aren't on the level of being submitted for a CCS proposal, which is a community support something. Uh, I forgot what the acronym was, but that's where you can donate to help fund, help fund certain projects. There's something in the bounting since, yeah, hold on, let me get water. I mean, too, I would drink some water. There's something in the bounty system where uh, they are looking to fund an initiative that would translate how to do atomic swaps from Bitcoin into Monero in Chinese. And I think that would be really, really helpful to a lot of people who are going through some pretty harsh financial suppression and authoritarianism in China um, because they ban cryptos. They're rolling out the central bank digital currency over here. And so I would suspect that that's also going to be translated over to other parts of the world, you know, as certain central banks and governments roll out their digital currency. I imagine the crackdown on free market cryptos is only going to increase. Now, we've commented on our channel, Monero could take the pressure uh, because you can mine it with your computer, uh, because you can get access to this stuff, hopefully here pretty soon through atomic swaps, which means you don't have to go through a centralized exchange. Uh, that makes it something which can be pretty robust in a time of financial authoritarianism and suppression and austerity. So I think that is something that is really good. And the more that we could spread the word about Monero, the more that we could build these networks, which allow people to transact peer to peer privately without any uh, vampiric third parties, uh, ranging yeah. from banks to governments to these blockchain forensics analytical companies, which we stumble upon a new one every other day, it seems, um, the better, the better that we could have a chance to survive um, yes. in the coming future.
Yes, yeah. actually, I'm looking forward to seeing how Monero is going to be adopted in China since they have banned, uh, you know, Bitcoin and all this. I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm looking forward to see how the situation evolves, you know, because I think this is a perfect environment for Monero. And well, I, I just want to see how, what happens, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm curious to see what happens too. And there is a community over there. It's kind of funny where, uh, they were skeptical a little bit about Monero because they thought it was a way for Americans to scam them. <laughs> but it, it's growing because they're philosophically oriented over in China. Um, I'm curious smart. To, to what extent it would be a way uh, for Americans to do that. Oh, I don't know. They're just skeptical of Americans. <laughs> they're skeptical of people in the West. Uh, right. And it makes sense given everything that's gone on. Uh, with America over the last few years because of our financial empire, printing money and all this stuff. But um, I think it's going to grow in China. I think it's going to grow. Um, it's just a matter of how it is they are able to access uh, the technologies that allow them to engage in this stuff. Do you have any thoughts on that, by the way? Because that's something I'm continuously curious about. I was talking to somebody on Twitter and he was saying that you could use virtual private servers to get on the internet outside of the country in China. And then you could get access to something like cake wallet. You could get access to certain exchanges and then you'd be able to get Monero and send it to yourself and have it in China or something like this. Um, another concern that I had is if you were to engage in atomic swaps and you were to be the person holding Monero, yeah, swapping that for somebody uh, swapping that for Bitcoin and that person who had the Bitcoin was located in China, mm -hmm. would that Bitcoin be tainted? Uh, because technically it would be an illegal transaction in China because you're not allowed to transact cryptocurrency. You're not allowed to trade this stuff. And so would that Bitcoin be tainted? Would that be considered tainted by the exchanges, by FATF or OFAC? That's a concern that I have. What do you, what do you think about this? Well, uh, technically, I don't know how uh, they would do it, but I would not necessarily look at atomic swaps, even if this is a great uh, improvement for Monero, and I think that it will play a huge role in the future. But I would look at what happened in Nigeria, for instance, because when they banned Bitcoin over there, the people, they found a solution to have a market, you know, underground. And mm. the, the, even in the price of Bitcoin on this market, it was higher, you know, much higher than on the price on any other market. And people, they managed, you know, to exchange Bitcoin to buy and all of this. So I expect, you know, that the Chinese will find a solution and they will have the same thing, but for Monero, you know, because at this moment, I think uh, it, it might be too dangerous for them to hold uh, Bitcoin because all of uh, the properties of Bitcoin. So maybe they are going to look to at Monero instead, mm. and they were going to reproduce what Nigeria has produced when they banned the Bitcoin, and they will find a you know, solution. And that's another interesting note that you make. Nigeria just recently rolled out their central bank digital currency, I think. And so again, we see the pattern of cracking down on crypto before the rise of the central bank digital currency. And I think we're going to see that in the West. And again, the more people that we can get into this stuff, the better that we can grow the network, the more that we can grow the anonymity set, and the more that we could have a chance to transact with each other outside of uh, yeah. the new 1984 <laughs> system, which is coming. Right? So, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, we talk about that a lot, man. We talk about that a lot. Uh, I don't know how it is in France uh, where you are, but Mm. in the United States, it looks like uh, we could be going towards a situation where you're kicked out of the economy, basically, if you don't go along with uh, the priest class, which has been uh, anointed in, in, you know, in the community, right. Uh, given certain medical procedures and things like this. So I think we have a great opportunity in this current moment to bring people into these wonderful cryptocurrencies, which preserve your privacy, which give you an opportunity to transact with people without anybody knowing about it. Uh, no matter who they are, no matter what belief system they're part of, no matter what their background is, it's a totally free market system. And I think that provides a lot of people hope uh, going into the future. And the more work that we can do right now to make that happen, the better, uh, because we're living in a pretty critical time right now that I think makes Monero look incredibly attractive. And the more that we have people like Kevin Wad and the more that we have people like Doug Tooman and others, uh, the better and the more of a chance that we have to create a truly beautiful free world. So Kevin, you have any last comments as to what we've talked about today? Well, I mean, again, I'm, I'm so glad not to meet you and to talk with you and all that. <laughs> and yes, I mean, this is, this is just crazy. You know, this is, uh, and yeah, maybe to, to, to conclude, you know, just, um, because I saw at the moment, you know, on the, your videos, you talked about your faith in all of this. And uh, I saw that some people, you know, they rebuke you or they, they said that it wasn't good and all of that, you know. But at the end of the day, I just want to say that I think that you come with a certain energy and this is extremely important, you know, because we see that you're a good person, you know, and this is this is uh, this is the main thing, you know. Uh, a lot of people say Monero is just for uh, people in the dark net, people that, you know, are dangerous or people that are, are bad and all of that. And. We see, we see you, you're exactly the contrary of this, you know, and at the end of the day, I just want to say, come as you are, you know, and uh, that's the most important, you know, and yes, just, just keep your energy, just keep you who you are. And I think this is extremely good. And that's great, man. That's great. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that, actually, because, you know, uh, it is a little bit um, different. I guess we'll just put it that way. And uh, I think it is good to introduce something that we value higher than money um, into the picture because yes, we're about freedom uh, and gains are great. Not going to lie. That intuition kicks in for me too. Um, I think the gains are definitely in from an arrow, but at the end of the day, if we're not doing it for something higher than these things, it's speculative as to whether or not we're going to succeed. Uh, so I do appreciate those comments uh, for sure. And I do just want to tell everybody that Kevin here is a really good guy. Um, I, I did go through some things about a week ago, uh, given a particular wallet, which have been compromised. I don't want to get into all that, but uh, Kevin offered me a lot of help um, in regards to, you know, how it is I could protect myself against certain attacks like that. And uh, you were there for me. You were there for me. And I really appreciate that. So it's just another example of the greatness of the Monero community, uh, the good spirit, which is here. And uh, it, we're glad to have people like Kevin as part of the community. I think uh, having people like Kevin, it definitely speaks large volumes about the quality of the character of the people in the community. And we want to keep that definitely essential to who we are uh, because we definitely want, uh, we definitely want this to be a community of, 
goodness. And we don't want to be associated with all the dark stuff going on in the uber goober parts of the internet, right? Where, you know, you have people like John Oliver saying, oh, if you buy Bitcoin, that's like you going to Home Depot and buying a plastic tub the shape of the human body or something like this, right? We are people who value something higher than gains. We are people who value something higher than, uh, I guess, degenerate things you could buy with this stuff. So, yes. Yeah, I have to say, I completely, a thousand percent agree with what you said, man. And, you know, what, regard to what happened, you know, I think this is what, I mean, this is luck. I, I call it luck volatility. You know? <laughs> it's like, you know, but at the end of the day, um, I think that such, since you're a very good person, I think at the end of the day, your karma will do that. You will have good things, you know, that are coming for you, you know. You don't know how good the things the universe has prepared for you, you know. And I mean, don't don't let this impact you, you know, because this is just luck volatility. And, you know, at one moment, your luck will skyrocket. You, something unexpected will happen, you know. But yes, and keep your energy. The karma will come, you know, this is, this is it, man. And, and also uh, in my life, something I, I learned, you know, uh, due to some uh, events I had in my life, that when you say money is not the most important, I thousand percent agree with you, you know. And for me, the hierarchy, this one is you have money, you know, but I mean, if you have money, potentially you have money. About this, you have the freedom regarding the law, you know, being free, being able mm. to, to move freely. I think this is more important than money. Above this, you have the health, you know, be healthy, you know, uh, having a good health. This is above even the freedom of uh, the law. Mm-hmm. And so that that's my hierarchy, you know. And up until a few years, you know, I, I thought it was the the the, the most thing, you know, the most important health, because for me this is like the most of the most important thing. But uh, with uh, I mean, due to an event that happened in, in my life and all of this, I I now I also think that there is something more important than health, you know. And I think it's just uh, to some extent uh, the destiny, you know, and. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so that, that's my vision of life, you know. And for me, money is at like the bottom of my values, you know. And when you say money is not the most important or none of this, I 1000% agree with you. And when I see what the Bitcoin community has become to some extent, again, I'm not dogmatic. I'm not saying all Bitcoin maximalists are this way. But when I see, you know, the momentum of certain people in the Bitcoin community, it's completely all about money, you know. <laughs> And again, they, they have lost their honesty with themselves and all this. And I think I'm yeah, completely aligned on this point, man. I'm 1000% agree with you. 100%. And uh, I love that. I love that energy. <laughs> and uh, you have that dragon energy, man. You have that dragon <laughs> energy. Uh, there's something deep within you, which is just a wellspring of goodness and uh, just. Uh, great energy and destiny, as you said. Uh, destiny is an interesting concept. Uh, we believe in something like destiny for sure. If you walk with God, if you walk with the higher power, uh, he has a plan for you as long as you continue along the path that he's set. And it's part of your will. There is a will element involved in that, and you have to make that choice. Uh, we do believe in uh, free will and choice. I will ask you this one thing because I, I like this tangent yeah, that we've gone on because this is, important. <laughs> this is important stuff. Um, what is sort of your concept of destiny? You had mentioned karma before. 
Uh, how does this play in uh, to what you're doing now? Well, um, I mean, it's not, not necessarily, I mean, it's not necessarily uh, something that is just personal. You know, I think it's in general, it's a destiny of, of, of people. And well, when I say, for me, it's different. You know, when I say karma, it means that I think that good people, when I say good people, is that really, uh, it's like even my intuition sometimes, you know, tell me that yes, this person is innerly good and good people, they bring the karma for them, you know, the, the universe, it, it gives them positive things, you know, at the end of the day, you know. So that's what I was saying when I say karma. Now, when I say destiny, I mean, uh, for instance, I don't know if you have seen, uh, for me, uh, there are some movies, you know, <laughs> this is crazy what I'm going to say, but, uh, you know, the Disney movies, you know, and I think... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love my but, uh, Mickey Mouse. Man, I, think, I think on a lot of these movies, you know, like they, they touch very profound things when it comes to philosophy and uh, life experience. And for mm -hmm. instance, what I mean is that if you take uh, the destiny of uh, uh, Peter Pan, for instance, well, I, I would prefer, you know, uh, to, to risk my life rather than having a destiny that is, you know, not aligned with what I'm supposed to do or, you know, to, I mean, I, I would, would fight with my life, you know, to avoid the destiny of Peter Pan, for instance, or I would fight with my life and then my health to, to avoid the destiny of uh, Pinocchio. This is what I mean, you know, this is in this way. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, you can be perfectly healthy, but if the life you live is not aligned with what you are proposed to do in your true destiny, then I think it's something that is more harmful that, than potentially risking your life and your health for your true destiny. That's what I mean. I think those are great points. And I feel that in my own life doing this, because before then uh, I was an accountant and things were good. You know, if you could look on the outside, you know, I was making decent coin. I was able to enjoy eating out, which I remember when I was like, you know, uh, you know, 16, 17 years old and I didn't have any money at all. And I'd be coasting down hills to save gas. Somebody would try to turn on the heat when it was winter. It's just like, Hey, don't touch that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I can't afford that. But you know, I became an accountant and life became rather comfortable. Uh, but there was something inside me, which is just like, I, I could do more, uh, for my fellow man. You know, it's good that I'm, you know, stocking up a nest egg. It's good that, uh, you know, I, I am, on my way to building a respectable career and all this stuff. Um, I saw everything going on in the world and it was just like, I, I got to get in the fight. You know, I, I just can't watch all this stuff happening and not say anything and be cowed out of saying what needs to be said to save people from what seems to be this completely satanic uh, overhaul of the entire world order. And so I, I've, like, even though my career is on hold, quote unquote, here, even though uh, I've made certain sacrifices, I love waking up in the morning to talk about this stuff. I love getting this information out to people. And your concept of destiny, like, I totally feel like in that zone doing this stuff. And so that feels better to me than any time I was working my accounting gig. And it's just, I feel that we all do have a destiny, we all do have a compass for truth. We all have a conscience at the end of the day, and every single moment we make choices as to whether or not we're going to harm that conscience or nurture that conscience. And I think that's really important for us to recognize. You know, everything in life requires sacrifices. Everything in life has a cost benefit. 
Uh, but if you're guided by truth and you have certain red lines and you have certain standards um, and you have a if and you have a an orientation towards goodness, I think that you'll make the right choices and you'll find it within your heart and within your spirit that you are so much stronger for those choices that you make, which are right, which could be difficult at first. But once you start down that path, uh, you just feel like nothing can stop you and you feel like exactly where you should be, which is just one of the best feelings in the world. Is that kind of how you feel when you talk about this stuff on your YouTube channel, when you do your work with Etika and this in these things? Yeah, 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 definitely, you know, completely, you know, for me, uh, fighting for freedom, uh, giving fungibility to the world to, uh, I mean, people need fungibility because I think on the future, if they don't have it, it will impact the life of people. You know, if, if you put the Bitcoin technology in the hand of um, very dangerous governments, for instance, they, they can do anything they want and this is going to be extremely dangerous for people. So, yes, definitely, definitely, this is like a mission as well, you know. And with Etika, this is like another one, but very important as well. Maybe this is, I mean, yeah, I'm so willing to, to do what has to be done, you know. And, you know, when, when Binance and all of these exchanges, you know, they, they do what they do to Monero, well, I'm going to laugh at that face, you know, because I'm going to be so ruthless with them. You know, I know that behind the scene, they are ruthless with us. But I mean, they are not prepared. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is going to be insane, man. <laughs> the truth always insane. comes out, man. The truth that's always it. comes out. The light that's always it. shines through. That's it. You know, and people have pride. People right. have like this haughty arrogance now, and yeah, that's it. pride <laughs> always goeth before the fall. And it's the truest thing ever. So you gotta stay yeah. humble. You gotta stay in the right spots, and things turn out well, you know, if you do that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Kevin, how do people find you? How do people find your work? It's been an honor having you on brother. Uh, this has been an, an incredibly enjoyable conversation and I've really learned a lot. And I hope that the people who tune in learn a lot, how can they get more of this great dragon energy? Yeah, me too. And I, I want you to see, I also to have you on my channel you know, because I really like you, man. I really like you. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, bro. Likewise. Yeah. 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 So yeah, they can they can find my my channel is Kevin Wad, and uh, also when it comes to HK Protocol, uh, they can go on hkprotocol.org. Uh, there is a white paper, everything is planned, and this is the very beginning of the project. So if they like the idea, they can really join and help us to build this. We are I mean at the very very beginning of this, and also uh, there is uh, Air Etika on Reddit, so it's uh, Air Etika. And they can join, they can ask questions. Uh, I will be more uh, than glad to answer the questions and all this. So, yeah, I mean, so much things coming and this is crazier. <laughs> That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. Well, uh, we'd love to have you back on soon. Uh, I love talking to you and the more that we can chat about current events, crazy things going on in the world and the awesomeness and the beauty of Monero, uh, the better. And a lot of people are looking forward to this talk. And I think that they're going to get great spirit from it. And that's one thing that we love is just great goodness in spirit. So uh, thank you for coming on, man. Uh, I appreciate it. And I hope to talk soon. Yeah, thank you, man. <laughs>